your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. And today is the power hour. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, emissions, troubleshooting, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is jump in and ask the question. We're going to get to those questions in just a little bit. I've got the guys here from Pittsburgh Power helping out. We've got Bruce and John and Ethan. Bruce, welcome. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure to do the show with you. And let's uh, bring John and Ethan on. Hey, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Hey, I've got to apologize. I'm not in very good voice today. I'm uh, fighting a cold. Uh Same here, but it's great to be here, Kevin. Oh, well, we're going to make you two do all the talking then. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Yeah, I wound up with a cold and a sinus infection at the same time. Oh, that's bad. I was was down at St. Pete this weekend, which should have been good, but the airplane rides and the pollen blown around all weekend seemed to have uh, affected my sinuses, and now it wants to stick around. So, yeah. Got it. All right. Overdose on vitamin C. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've already gone about. Uh, I'm about ten thousand milligrams in already today. <laughs> there you go. Well, before we get to what uh, yeah. you guys have this week, I had a call last night. I'm wondering if you guys have any ideas about it. Um, it was a 2012 MX-13. It's got about seven hundred thousand miles on it. He's been fighting a fuel issue, and he's to the point. It's been towed back in so many times, and he just can't trust it anymore. He actually parked it, and he's driving somebody else's truck for now. Um, What was happening, it it just won't hold a prime on the fuel. He'll be going down the road and lose the fuel prime momentarily, but then the engine derates, and he, he gets it towed in, and they can't get it started without a bunch of ether. So, so far, they've... Replace the injector seals, the hand pump, and the fuel pump. Before they did that, they said you could pump on the hand pump all day long and never get any prime or pressure. And after they replaced everything, then it would pump right up. But it still does the problem going down the road. And it's had a, uh, a, a delete on it, so he can't take it to a factory shop anywhere. So this has all been an independent doing this. Any ideas? Interesting. I'd look to one of the uh, I'd look to one of the unit pumps. <clears throat> that thing utilizes unit pumps, kind of like an old Deutz. It's got six different unit pumps on it that run on the cam, and uh, they're known to fail at the cam. So it could actually be a mechanical failure or one of those, which would affect the uh, you know eventually affect the seal inside. Has he done oil analysis? Does he find any fuel in his oil? Do you know? Uh, he hasn't done any oil analysis yet. No, I, I recommended he just replace all the fuel lines as well because that hasn't been done. Yeah, the lines to the engine, obviously, that's a, that's that's just good maintenance there, especially with the mileage that's on that truck. That should have been done by now, I think. Uh, if not, 
uh, definitely ought to look at those. Uh, might be able to single out which unit pump it is because those things are, uh, you know, of the failures I've seen on that uh, earlier MX-13, uh, they seem to be in that neighborhood, be it the followers themselves, the pump itself, or the camshaft even. But, uh, um, you know, this isn't symptomatic of a camshaft, but it could be symptomatic of a uh, failed unit pump. Ah, that's a good idea. Maybe he's listening because I think he's kind of given up. We can have a toad here. We'll figure it out. Yeah, that's there what I said. There also may be some uh, yeah. check valves in there for, like, pressure check. If one of them has a small crack in it, it can cause the problem. That's a, I've never seen it on a Cummins, but I know that Cummins is always about inspecting them every time they're out. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds like good advice. What's uh, what's new and exciting with you guys at Pittsburgh Power this week? Kevin, have you looked at the uh, two fifty gear ratios back and compared it with the with speeds and RPMs? A two fifty or two fifty four? Yeah, you know, it, it, when we we've been promoting two sixty fours forever because that was the the common gear ratio that worked indirect 250 isn't that far off i mean it, it's really hard to tell the difference well my, my question is like in wyoming and where it's an 80 mile an hour speed limit and everybody's going 75 and 80 I'm trying to get it to some of the guys that don't want to run 58 to 64 and still want to run in direct I'm trying to get some figures on the 254 gear ratio. That chart on your computer that would tell us the speed that at 14 and 1500 RPM in direct gear with a 254 or 253. I forget exactly what the number is. Yeah, they've even got some higher ratios now. Um, down in the low twos, I forget the exact numbers and who's offering what, but I've seen some. John, I know you follow this as well. There's some numbers down in the low twos now, right? I saw a – I'll probably text you a picture here before too long when I find it. Um, the uh, There's a 195 now ratio. <clears throat> so with the downspeeding of engines is what's bringing this on more so than anything. I mean, these new engines that make peak torque at like 950 RPM. So it's uh, – the engine management systems have finally gotten to a place where they can manage the fuel well enough to run the engines that slow. And uh, the engines have gotten stronger, obviously, in the bottom end to be able to handle it. So that's that's what's going on with that stuff. But uh, I think that truck uh, that uh, Henry Albert's running right now, I believe that's got a, uh, I believe it's a 219 or a 216 in it. Yeah, okay. So, but, yeah, but Bruce, I'll, while we're... That uh, doesn't protect... Well, while, while no, we're... Hey, Hey, Bruce, I've got a calculator on my computer that I found. Uh, Dana's got a great one on their website. Uh, you, need, you need to know tire size and a couple other things, but it's really terrific. Yeah, I've, I've actually Put got on that one. Throw 22 five. Okay. On a low pro 22.5 with like a 250 gear ratio, would that put us like 68 to 70 mile an hour indirect at 1,500? That's what I'm searching for. Okay, so at 15. Got a lot of people that want to run in that 68 to 70. All right, so 15. If we put in a 250 and a low profile and we're running indirect, 
then we end up at uh, 65 miles an hour. We're at 1463. 1463 at 65 at 65 i mean if you jump yeah, so up to 75 yeah i mean that is if you jump up to 75 no, you're jump, at, go to 70 okay at 70 you're at uh 1575 if you wanted to that, keep that might be a pretty nice key. If you wanted to keep it at 1,500 at 70, you would need something around the 230 ratio. But here's the other option, too. I mean, you know, ideally, because you're not going to run that kind of speed everywhere. You're only going to run that kind of speed out west. So I think, you know, if I had my option to build this the way I wanted, I'd have a single overdrive with the 250s and i can still run you know 60 64 in direct and get really good fuel economy and just use that one overdrive when i'm out west now the problem is is the single overdrive transmissions i don't think are rated for the higher torque that may be mm-hmm. those those were from 1990 and older 1992 and older so you still have to stay with the double over 13 or 18 to have the higher torque transmission. But, hey, even on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, they're not going 65 miles an hour anymore. Well, if you – you know, I'd have to go look. I wonder if anybody's making a single overdrive now. There's so many new transmissions on the market, it's hard to keep up with all the options. But if you go, if you had a single overdrive and you went to that gear, which is usually around 0.83, at 70 miles an hour with 250s, now you're right at 1,300. Yeah, we don't want to get that low. We don't want to be at 1,300 at 70 miles an hour. We're using too much fuel to make too much boost to buck the wind and not having our rotating mass. I'm talking about the, the trucks that are like 2007 and older. Yeah. Okay. Let me out. let me get to a break, and uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Bruce and Ethan and John are here with me. We were talking about some gear ratios and some other things. You guys got anything else, or should we get some phone calls? Wait, wait. I just had something come up. Uh, I had a listener text me uh, who had a problem with uh, Packard in the past himself. Said there's a check valve in the back of the head that would cause this prime problem. Ah. So if that fellow's still listening, we just got a intro from a listener. Interesting. So that was that was it. And I had uh, well, <clears throat> one more thing to chat about. Well, my trip to St. Pete this week. Uh, you know, I've got old friends in this business that I haven't seen in a while. And a buddy of mine who's been at this longer than I uh, has a shop based there in St. Pete, and notably was not at the track this weekend. And I reached out to him, and uh, turns out he's gotten into the business of building autonomous buses. So he's got a deal. Uh, the state of Florida is paying for or helping to fund a. Uh, they call them buses, but they only haul six people. It's a little pod, fully autonomous, and it will be fully autonomous when it hits the road in January. Um, only haul six people. It's under 2,000 pounds, which gets it away from all sorts of laws. And it'll be like a ride hail. It's full electric. It'll be all over the streets of St. Pete next year uh, that you'll be able to get on an app on your phone and, and call it, and it takes you where you want to go, and that's it. And it is going to be instantly out of the box. What is it, level four, level five? No driver. Wow. They'll go 35 miles per hour. They're keeping them in the city for now. Uh, but it's going to be, uh, you know, they're capable of 65. But at that kind of weight, to stay under 2,000, to get out of a lot of the laws, stay away from a lot of the laws uh, regulating this stuff, it's, you know, a pretty lightweight piece. So I don't think you'd want to go much faster than 35 yeah. miles per hour. Yeah. In it. But that's, uh, yeah, so he's... Uh, uh, deal fell in his lap. A guy was looking for space to uh, to do this project. It was a friend of a friend, and he said, "Hey, just do it at my shop. I'm a little slow right now." It was back in last October, and in that business, you're slow in October usually. Uh, so they brought their own crew in and started working on it. And before you know it, he had his uh, his mechanics on the job, and they fired most of theirs because they were inept. And he has his race guys now working on doing this adaptation. Uh, the technology is all from France. Uh, I think there was one that I'd read about from over there. I forget what the name is. And I didn't get the actual name of the company they're using, and he's doing the uh, uh, the adaptation to the to the vehicle itself. And they're also working on a few of them for Disney. So there are going to be some autonomous uh, buses running around inside of Disney soon, too. You know, that, te- that, that to me seems like the way this is going to get built up. You know, it, it, people said, well, regulations and laws and all these things are going to get in the way. What most people just aren't realizing about this whole shift towards autonomous is that there is so much money in this, so many companies working on it, that things like this that we weren't even thinking about. Keep the vehicles under a certain weight, and all of a sudden a whole bunch of regulations don't apply. Run them on private companies like Disney. And it's not going to take them long to prove the technology and... I just think a lot of this stuff is going to happen a lot faster than we think. What blew me away was this is a guy who doesn't give two shits about buses or hauling people or anything around. This guy's a serious <laughs> racer. You know, he's done nothing but that. He's, you know, and and he was completely blown away by it. And, you know, he's, he's all in. He's like, I'm not even going to run any cars this year. He goes, I'm committed to these guys for the year. We're going to get this project done and, you know, get them on the road for next uh 
January 1 of 19, and who knows what will happen after that. And, you know, he immediately started talking to me about, you know, they're going to be needing service centers in other cities. And their their direct target is someone you love to hate is Uber. Like, they really, really want to – they're coming after Uber's market. Uh, <laughs> right. So they're going to do it immediately with autonomous rather than use, using people to figure out the routes and so forth. And, uh, yeah, it seemed really interesting. I mean, it was uh, – you know, it was, it was, and again, this guy is someone that I had never expected to have a conversation about a truck or anything else ever with. Right. You know, he's, he's, he's one of my racer buddies. Yeah. And uh, and here he is all in, like like all in. Yeah, so one of the headlines, so and I didn't even it's, have... Uh, it's not going away in... in... Go ahead. <laughs> so, not that I want to keep talking about it, but yeah. something smacks me in the head all the time. Every time I turn well, around, I, 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 something it, hits me with this. That, that's what I keep saying, and I, I, it's it's not that I want to keep talking about it, but you have to. We have to pay attention. One, there's, it's not all negative either. There's going to be a ton of opportunities here. Our whole economy is changing so much with all of the the sharing and honestly in a lot of ways a lot of these technologies are are uh, favoring small business so it's it's not all bad news but i didn't even have time to read this i you know saw it in my email right before we came on the air but one of the headlines was waymo uber starsky embark and tesla autonomous class 8 come out of stealth mode i mean this stuff is hitting the streets Yep. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, that hit me hard this week. And I said, this is someone who you'd never, never, ever think. Yeah. Uh, would would be into this. Interesting. All right, let's uh, let's get some phone calls. We've got some questions lined up. We're going to start off in Tennessee. Michael, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you guys doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Uh, Bridgetson over an oil sample. I was just going to get you to look at it. I'm uh, just wondering about the iron. See if that should I should worry about that. If it's too high or not. No, you're uh, you're right about where I would expect it to be. So um, let me. Oh, let me look at that again. This text is really small. Um, about twenty-eight or twenty-nine. It's like forty-four parts. Yeah, and you're at about twenty nine thousand miles on the oil. That is that is a little high, um, a little higher than we'd like to see. We normally at at twenty eight, twenty nine thousand. If we see the iron at about twenty nine, that that's a pretty normal progression. I, you know, being at forty four isn't awful. I mean, they don't flag it at all. They consider that a level zero. Um, and I wouldn't get too worried about it, but I would watch. Well, they did flag it. They, oh. they did flag it, didn't they? Uh, not on mine. Oh, well, it was green. I guess that's not considered flag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, zero and one are completely normal. Okay. All right. And what about, and see, I, call, I, I called, I talked to you about this truck, like this engine, like last year. What about the soot? Is that is that because uh, they saw they found a they found a some I don't know some gasket or something that was misplaced on the charge air cooler system. I don't know if that's come down or what. Uh, the soot on this one at one point five isn't ideal for a Series sixty. It's a little high, not enough that I really spend a lot of time or money chasing it, but. 
you know, when, when a Series 60 is running right, that soot number will stay under point one. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I was just checking. I just had an overhead done on it uh, after uh, the guys at OPS called me and told me that I may have something tight on it or something rubbing against a valve or a camshaft or something. And they did find all the ex- the uh, ex- exhaust valves tight, and they corrected it. But it still hasn't come that, – that iron still hasn't come down that much. Yeah, like I say, it's not horrible. It, it's – you know, I I would just keep an eye on it. Watch how it progresses as you get more miles on the soil. Let me ask you something. If once, you, uh, how many miles would you give it to get a true sample? Like after you, because uh, see, I always uh, wait till I get the oil down to where it needs to be added, and then I add fresh oil in, and then I change the uh, filter. How long, how many miles should I give it to get that 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 good oil circulated around? To give a proper uh, to give it to get a proper uh, uh, reading on the oil, you know the way I like to take an oil sample is if it, at the end of a, a good day of running, and when you're when you shut down for the day, I oh. don't don't turn the truck off. Just get out and take a hot sample. That's going to be your most accurate reading. Okay, so just run all day after you've added a gallon or two of oil in. Then, yeah. Right? Yep. Okay. All righty. I appreciate you guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to North Dakota. Dan, welcome to the program. Yeah, how you doing there, guys? We just got a simple question about biofuel. All right, go ahead. When you get to a a pump, yeah, when you get to a pump and the handles are nice and clean and you know that uh, Iowa, for example, is always a high concentrate of biofuel, you go down to a discount fuel center and all those handles and nozzles are blacker than the ace of spades. My question is, would a guy be leery using those things in fear of picking up that algae? Oh, boy. I'll throw my opinion out. I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on this. Um, We're coming up on a break, so we'll probably take this into the break. We'll come right back. And we'll get to this right around the corner. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. If you don't have our app yet to listen to the show, you should get it. It's free. It's easy. It's a great way to listen to the show. You can listen live. You can listen to all of the shows after the fact. So once you have the app, you'll never have to worry about missing the show again. Go to the website, letstruck.com. Look at the top of any page. You'll see the links for both Android and iPhone. Download it. Start listening. We'll be right back. Stick around.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. The guys from Pittsburgh Power here helping out. We're talking with Dan in North Dakota about uh, biofuel. You know, Dan, this is one of the topics that's kind of frustrated me for years. I've, I've tried to find people that could really help me understand fuel and additives and all the different biofuels now. And part of the problem with biofuels, they're just not consistent. You know, petroleum is pretty much petroleum across the board. And, you know, other than just some different additive package, it's usually just the same stuff. Problem with biofuels is they're not consistent. They're made from different things. They're made using different processes. There's different concentrations. So it's really hard to pin down, you know, whether biofuel's any good or it's awful. Or um, The thing with algae, though, is... I don't know that a handle being dirty or clean is really going to tell us much. Algae is going to grow when there's water. And if there's no water, you're just not going to get algae. But I, I, don't, I don't know that, you know, how we know whose fuel supply has more or less water in it. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, like these nozzles would be no. jet black, not the handles. Oh, the, the nozzle, okay. So... You're thinking the nozzles that, are coated black. Yeah. Um, again, I, I don't know what what's causing that black. I, I kind of doubt that it's algae. Um, could be all kinds of things, but, you well, know. Like if, if I go to a TA or Petro, I mean, those things are spotless. Yeah. I go to the discount fuel place, and they're, they're, they're coated with all that black gook on it. Now, when you say the nozzle, do you mean inside? No, no, the outside of the nozzle, right where the tube and the spring and the... Oh, yeah, okay. Just, and then the handle well, is behind it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I have a feeling that's just more they never get cleaned than anything else. I mean, you know, you, you get residue, fuel residue on the outside, and then dust clings to it. Pretty soon it looks black. Um, I, I Like I say, I think the, the, the bigger... Uh, places are probably just keeping those clean. They're, you know, somebody's going around and keeping them clean, and the small discount places are. But I, I, I don't think that I would assume that, you know, those have algae. Okay, I was just kind of wondering. This is one fuel stop that I go to. I've been looking at it, and I'm going, geez, you know, I hope this thing. I hope this isn't that algae stuff that you guys are always talking about. And then when I go to Kia or Petro, and uh, those things are spotless, and I'm sitting there, and you just kind of, you know, taking a double take at it. I just figured I'd just get an opinion. Yeah, I, I would, I would venture to yep. say that it's that it's nothing more than the fact that they never wipe down the outside of that nozzle, and and that's just you know grime and dirt building up on the fuel that's on there. Bruce, did you have something? Yeah, algae in the fuel tank looks like mucus. And the way you spot it, that you have it, its waste is little black specks, and you'll see it in the fuel filter. If you take your fuel filter and dump it into a bucket, like a clean white bucket, and you see little black specks, that's the waste from algae. And it's hard to see in the tank, but... uh, if you had if you'd had a clear tank and you could see like a mucus inside it. Yeah. 
Yeah, algae's pretty slimy. You know you had algae. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, the, you know, the outside of the nozzle itself being dirty is any real indication of, of algae. Let's uh, let's go to Texas. Victor, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for taking my call. What's on your mind today? Hello? Hello? Hi, um, thanks for taking my call. I got pulled over and got a roadside a little while back, and uh, they wrote me up having an oil leak my engine. Now, I just had this truck at T&E. And, and they put an OPS on for me, and I had them drop my oil can and put a gasket on it. So I take it up the road, and the first thing TA Petro wants to do is drop the can and put a new gasket on it. Well, they, I need him to sign off on my sheet, so I let him do it. And here I go down the road, and I still got a leak. So I go to another Detroit shop, and they're like, uh, oh, you got a crank show, you got a crank show. So I put a crank show in. I think I still got a leak. What do I need to do to get into for power and get a good guy looking at my engine to, uh, you know, stop just throwing parts at it and not getting anything done? I, I need to start to run right. Well, what year What year truck is it? What year engine? Uh, it is a T-Deck Series, uh, T-Deck 4, Series 60. It, it's okay. a Schneider Glider, which I want to okay. say the truck's an 11. I don't know what, what donor engine was in it. Tell, tell me about the breather tube. Nobody put over that breather tube, did they? Uh, I wouldn't know a breather tube without a manual, sir. I, I, I'm, I'm a driver and, an, uh, and a business person. I don't have a mechanical background. Breather tube comes off your valve cover, and it has the blow-by comes out of the engine down the breather tube. And a lot of people put a rubber hose on it, like a piece of heater hose, to get it closer to the ground so that the blow-by doesn't gather under the truck. And what happens is the oil vapors attack the rubber. The rubber gets very soft. It looks normal when you're stopped and you're looking at it. But when you're going down the road, the air underneath the truck will blow the rubber hose parallel with the highway. And now you're not getting rid of your blow-by, and your blow-by is coming out of the gaskets and up the drain tube of the turbo. So the first thing you need to check before you spend any more money is the breather tube. Okay. And make sure that it's open. That's what points down. You can see it on the right side, uh, on the passenger side, when you're when you're looking at the truck. Okay, it's got the yes. exhaust smoke coming out of it. Yep. <clears throat> yes. Okay, and I just follow that up and make sure that it's, uh, what, solid and not that, that it's Well, you, are, you want to start at the bottom and start at the bottom and make sure there's no hose on it. And then the proper way to do it would be to take it off and to blow air through it and clean it out and make sure that something's not restricting it. And then where the blow-by comes into it, sometimes there could be a filter or a screen there. You want to make sure that's not clogged. That's the first thing you have to do. Okay. Uh, how how far schedule out are you guys? I mean, what what after you get into fit for power? Because I would love I would love if you guys would evaluate this truck for me, tell me what I can do with it. Um, usually we're booked a about a, usually we're booked about a week in advance. Now, if it's an electrical problem, a lot of times we can get you in with a day or two notice. But for mechanical issues, it's generally a week. 
Uh, John, is it a week right now? Are we booked out a week? We're about a week and a half. We're the rest of this week booked up and all of next week. So we're scheduling for a week from Monday. So we're about a week and a half out right now. Uh, I would look at on that truck, that particular engine, if it's never been done, uh, rear structure leakage is, is common on those. Uh, after the uh, make sure that breather is nice and tight. But uh, if they keep looking in the area of the oil pan and the rear main seal, I, I'm, I'm leaning toward that thing needing a rear structure resealed. What does that translate to in terms of parts labor? <laughs> it's about a 20-hour job. Uh, you have to take the transmission out. You have to crib the engine in the chassis. And then you have to uh, pull the rear engine mounts off. And then the housing that surrounds wow. the flywheel is what, we refer, is what we refer to as the rear structure. And that thing doesn't have a gasket per se. They use an anaerobic sealant on it, and that lasts for about I don't know ten ten years or so. And then it's uh, it's it's a soft seal, and what happens is it hardens and uh, it doesn't flex with the engine anymore. So all the torque is transferred from the engine block through the flywheel housing slash rear structure to the engine mounts, and eventually that stuff gives up and you start leaking oil out from around there. Uh, really common after, you know, like you said, about a 10-year-old engine, 10, 12-year-old engine. If it's never been done, it's uh, that's most likely where it's coming from. But uh, like Bruce said, take care of the small, easy uh, solution first. Uh, but uh, I'm leaning toward that. Sounds like he needs to uh, schedule and get it into you guys so you can take care of that and some other stuff for him. Let's uh, let's keep moving. Let's head out to California. Robert, welcome to the program. Yeah, I have a 14-liter uh, Detroit. It's a, a 2009, and it, it runs real real bad. I mean, it doesn't have any power. Um, uh, what can I do to maybe increase the power or to, um, you know, that it runs better in hell? You know, it's just a dog. All right, let's, uh, let's head into a break, and we will figure that one out right around the corner. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford will be right back with more of the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We're talking with Robert in California. So, guys, what can you uh, what can you do for his 14 liter? 
Is that is that a D Deck six two thousand nine? Um, I. Not sure if it's a D-Deck 6. Um, what year is it? 2009. 2009. Yes. 2009. It should be a D-Deck 6. Yeah. It has like to be a D-Deck 6. Yeah. Yeah, it has six. to be a yep. 6. Okay. Any thoughts? Ooh. What do you got for that, Ethan? Well... Yeah, I was just sitting there thinking there. We, we've done one in the past um, where we were able to get some more power out of it, but, you know, we typically don't see the DDX6 too often. Um, something that I could would like to put on the dyno, see where we're at, make sure we don't got anything wrong with it. The star is doing its factory horsepower, and there is a tune to, to put on it. Oh, you but I don't have... remember what exactly it did. Well, you've had a couple of tunes for that. Yeah, but I don't. That's two of them you've had through. Yeah, but I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head. Now he's in California. Do you live in California? Do you run the I-5 corridor, or do you come east? I I don't run California all that much. I I have other trucks that can't uh, go in there, so I try to stay out. But um... where's home for you? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma, okay. Well, that's one that we would need the truck at the shop, and we don't want you to send us the ECM. So, can you get a load for up towards the western Pennsylvania area? Um, I can get one and, and uh, get up there. I haven't done that in the past. Okay. That would be our best suggestion for you for the DLEX 6. It was a problem engine, so. Well, you know, it's got uh, just over 900,000 on it. It doesn't burn any oil. It's been a good truck. Just It just doesn't have the power that I'm getting uh, used to. You know, I, I've i got some other trucks that uh, you guys have done the uh, the um, uh, ECM upgrade on them. And, boy, they, they, it's like no comparison. Yeah. But. Um, or. I sure would like to get that uh, that other truck set up like these. I mean, that would be fantastic. Were the other ones D deck fours? Yes. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're they're gliders, and uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, the D deck four and D deck five are not quite as complicated as the D deck six, and. The D-Deck 6 was the engine that took Detroit into the, having a DPF on it. So, right. It'd be best it'd be best to get it to the shop. And as okay. you see, even though you're a you're a fleet owner, once you have horsepower and torque, boy, when you when you don't have it, it makes driving a whole lot more work. <laughs> yeah, it does. And my drivers have complained about that truck too. So. <laughs> So not only that, that but <laughs> not not only that, when a truck doesn't run good, it kind of gets ignored because it doesn't make the person happy. You know? There you go. We're heading like off. Like having a bad wife. <laughs> we won't go there. We're heading off to Ohio. Stuart, welcome yep. to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just bought a uh, 95 T600. It's got a 127 Detroit in it. This is my first 127. Uh, I keep breaking AC 
suppressor bracket bolts. Um, about one a week, I'm running a grade eight bolt nose. Any, any input on that? Yeah, yeah, that's an easy fix. Call us up and order a torsional damper and a mercury-filled engine balancer, and your problems are solved. That's it? That's it. That'll do it. All it takes is to put a new torsional damper on. Is that a factory? Is that something Detroit had problems with? Or? No, no. Okay. Uh, are, you, are you a new listener to the show? Oh, no, I listen quite a bit, but I've never heard that question answered before. Oh, my. We talk about torsional dampers all the time, and oh, I write oh, about yeah, them frequently. I, yeah, I ran them before. Hey, I had one 14 liter. I just never had, have, had heard the question asked about these, these bolts breaking. I didn't know that that would head, head on the Head on over to our uh, Facebook page. I recently posted a link to a video a fellow did about them and uh, put a link on there to an article uh, on the subject just this morning. So it'll, it'll explain everything to you. But it's the vibrations uh, and the pulses being transmitted through the through the block because uh, the damper is not uh, not taking them up. So one of uh, uh, it, it'll be uh, be really obvious. One of the first. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you. Go ahead, Bruce. Can I give him a quick list of everything it breaks? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Alternator brackets and bolts. Air conditioning brackets and bolts. Uh, Crankshafts, camshafts, accessory drive shafts, uh, the springs in your clutch disc, the flywheel bolts, flywheel housing bolts, input shaft of the transmission. It's all those things that are affected by that torsional damper spinning on the front of that crank. And that's why it's imperative that you change them every half a million. Bruce, I gotta gotta tell you a story before I met you and before you taught me about the damper and all the problems it caused. One of the first new trucks that I bought in the mid '90s, uh, a, a, an Aeromax with a Series 60 on it, awesome truck. I mean, I, I just had great luck with that truck, except I had one problem that started right around a half a million miles, and I kept breaking the bolts and the brackets on the alternator. And nobody knew what to do. We yep. just kept beefing up the bolts and the brackets, and eventually they'd still break. And I look back on that now, and I think that's exactly what was going on. That's what it was. Yep. Now I know. I, you know, the, the, the stories continue. The N14 that came in our shop in a Freightliner, you know, a two-inch ratchet binder holding his air compressor, Onto the accessory drive cover, and I said, what in the hell is that? <laughs> he said, well, it keeps breaking the bolts and the brackets. We put a new torsional damper on and fixed his bolts and brackets. The problem went away. I had another guy come in, and uh, we put a light clutch in. He said, well, I hope these hold up better than the Eaton's. I said, well, what kind of problem are you having with the Eaton's? Every 140,000 miles, I knocked the springs right out of the clutch disc. Wow. And this guy was an ex-Clark forklift mechanic of 20 years yeah that's and crazy. i said well we took that damper off we cut it in two and it was locked solid we put a new damper on he called me back a week later said this truck's never been this smooth problem solved remember the guy that night he called us on the radio show kevin and he had noises coming out of his flywheel housing we sold him a new damper and balancer the noises are gone yeah yeah, it, it, yet, it's, 
Yet every time I walk through this shop and I look at trucks with eight and 900,000 miles on, and I see original dampers. Well, and what people don't realize is even after an in-frame, you're not going to get a new damper. No, in for most you do at our shop. Right, yeah, but, uh, but that's pretty rare. 99% of the shops, they don't understand what the torsional damper does. And you'll hear the mechanics, well, we never replace those things. They don't wear off. They don't know what's inside them. Yeah. Like yeah, a shock it's, absorber. It's amazing how many years we've been talking about that now, and yet it, it's still probably one of the, the most under-maintained parts on a truck. The moment something breaks off the engine or the shifter starts to rattle or the door locks start to rattle, change the torsional damper. Give us a call. Put ours on. It's made in the USA. If you buy an OEM one, made in China and or India, Mack is the only company that stayed with the USA manufacturer, Austin Mack. Hey, All the OEMs Bruce, went overseas. You know what we need to do? We we need to uh, – I'll do most of the work if we could get some videos from you and some other stuff. We need to put together one of the online courses and just give it away free just on that one issue alone. You know, and it wouldn't have to be long, but it, I think if people see a visual and then we get it out there, I think that will really help us spread the word about that. So – why don't we get together and, and put something like that together? We'll get started right after the Louisville show. That sounds like a plan. We're uh, we're getting a lot hey, here's of... Here's a que- question. Go ahead. Question about the Louisville show. Next Tuesday, I'll be flying to Louisville, so I won't be able to do the show with you. Ah, okay. Well, I'll be, uh, I might even head to Louisville tomorrow. I've got a uh, speaking engagement here in Minneapolis, and I'm already tired of the snow. So I think I'm going to take off as soon as I'm done tomorrow and head south. Uh, It's a little too cold here for me. We've got to wrap it up. That is the end of the show. We will see you next time. This was the Power Hour. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power. If you have anything else you need, give them a call. Next time, be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. All right, everybody. Thanks. Um, for some reason, we were we just kept dropping a lot of the calls that had questions, and we just don't have enough to get through another hour. So we're going to wrap this up, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.